Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. And what, a, what an honor it is to be here at Beho. For those of you who don't know, we were actually called to come here a couple months ago to really plant here. We were doing we're, we're regional, uh, so that means we oversee both Balboa and Beho. But we were told to plant here because of all the exciting things. And can I just say that both me and Teresa absolutely love Beho? I seriously think we have the best campus, guys. Like, honestly. Like, we got the coolest camp. Like, what other campus has a basketball court? Come on. So, and Ocean View. We also have Ocean Views here. Come on. So, man, we, we just love being in here. And, uh, you know, we're actually going through our Reborn series uh, at the moment, which is really all about being made in the image of God, being in the image of Christ, being reborn. When we are reborn or born again, the idea is that we actually get a new nature. We get a new nature. That's good news, right? That is great news. We're being conformed, in other words, to the image of Christ. And as I was thinking about this, it's so interesting to think about, I was reflecting, that all the words that were spoken over me as a child, right? So much of our identity could actually get wrapped up in the words that are spoken over us as a child, whether it's by our parents, by our peers, and even by ourselves. And then how deep those, the roots of those words can go when we come into agreement with those words, right? And oftentimes as a child, like they just, they just take root because that's like what you're meant to be, you're meant to be taking information in. And so you plant them deep. And so I was thinking about this, man, I was like, there was this memory I had back in third grade. And for those who don't know, this is actually a story I haven't told many people at all, but in elementary school, I was actually bullied a lot for being, I was like the ugly kid. I was the ugly kid. I know, right? I, wonder, I don't know why Teresa's not the most offended at this, you know? She's like nodding her head, yes. Just kidding, she's not doing that. But man, like I, like I remember I was bullied, and then I remember there was this one, like so much so that there was this one, this one memory sticks out, and that's how I know there's actually a trauma like a, that was attached to it. That in third grade, you know, all the girls were like, you know, chatting, and this is third grade, so like you think not a big deal, but third grade to a, you know, to a kid is a big deal. And, you know, all the girls were, like, over in one corner, as they always do, and the boys were over in one corner. And we could hear them, like, giggling, laughing. And all of a sudden, they, like, shriek in, like, horror. Like, oh, my gosh, oh, that's disgusting, blah, blah, blah. And I remember asking one of my, like, one of the friends that was a girl later on, like, well, what were you guys doing? What were you screaming about? They said, oh, well, we were deciding who, you know, was our first choice to marry in the class, right? And it was our second choice. Very typical thing you might do as a third grader, right? with no basis in reality, but like they're imagining. And she said, well, you know, and I chose you for my second choice, not my first, but my second choice, and that's why they shrieked in horror. And I chose you because you're so nice, but, you know, they shrieked in horror because they basically think you're super ugly. And I know, right? <laughs> it's so bad. But like at that moment, I literally came into agreement with that word, thinking like, oh my gosh, like, will I ever be loved? Will I ever be able to get married? Now, obviously, in hindsight, I'm married to, like, an absolute smoke show. So, like, <laughs> praise the Lord. 
But that was after a lot of what God had to deal with in my heart. But the reality, the reality is I came into agreement with so many of those words. It's amazing what that did because when I came into agreement with that word, I then began to speak like that. I assumed that identity. I began to act like it. And what that meant practically speaking is I all of a sudden entered into relationships where I maybe gave way on my values. Or I was like, you know, I just need to get love from somewhere so I, can, I have to lower my standards. And I'm talking about like the important things, not like, you know, she needs to look exactly like these 10 things. It's like godly woman who loves the Lord, who is great, you know, like who we get along with. I was like, oh, as long as she has a pulse and likes me, <laughs> like that's not good, right? And especially as somebody who's trying to live a righteous life, that like you compromise on your values, not something we're supposed to do. So speaking of that, thank God that God has redeemed all of that. And he's really moved in because I look back at that and see the devil had his stupid little fingers all over that. His fingerprints were all over that. So he's really moved us along. But all of that to say, the message I want to be talking about today is something that I really feel that we all need to think about and learn about. For some of you, it may offend you. I hope not, but it may. Right? For other people, it will be a confirming word. Perhaps God has been speaking to you in this realm. But for all of us, I trust that it will bring needed clarity around this very, not very talked about subject in the global church today. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about the power of our words. The power of our words. How are we to use our tongue, our language, our mouth in the way that God has intended? So the message title today is Taming the Tongue. Ooh, look at that. Would have been better if there was meat on there, by the way. I just, I just realized that. But it's fruit, so I approve. I like fruit. Anyways, it's all about how we use our tongue in the way that God has intended. So James 1.26 says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. So as Christians, we need to learn how to bridle our tongue. And if we do not learn to bridle our tongue, it says we're actually deceiving ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. Now, when we bridle our tongue, that doesn't mean that we're just shutting down completely. Now, some of us may need to just stop talking, right? <laughs> My wife raised her hand. No, you're, you're great. You're great. But sometimes. But it's really when we bridle a wild animal, you're not bridling it to shut it down or to stop it from working, but actually to guide its work. So that that animal now becomes, instead of being wild and you know reckless, to then becoming productive and fruitful. So when we bridle our mouths, God has created our language, our mouths, to actually bring produce and increase and fruitfulness in our lives. So we need to understand that. James 3.2 says, for we stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle the whole body. You know, sometimes we focus on all of these other external things that we're trying to control our body. Like, I don't want to sin in this way or that way. But it says if we actually start with our mouth, we'll be able to bridle the entire body. So it's a place of leverage. A place of leverage. So if you're struggling with something, let me just say, work on your speech, what's coming out of your mouth. First and foremost, now we came to this church about 10 years ago and 
some of you have heard this. Like, I came in here and I was so offended at like everything. <laughs> like everything. Like first come in and pastors are good looking. And like, boom, offended. <laughs> and I like pastors are not supposed to be good looking. In fact, they should be at least mildly unattractive so that during the church service, I must be forced to focus on the word of God. You know, like that's what I thought. Like that's how religious I was. And then you come in and all of a sudden the music is loud. I'm like, oh my gosh, the music is so loud in this church. And I think there's a smoke machine. What's with that? You know, music should be, I don't know, exactly the volume that I expect it to be when I walk in the church. And then, of course, after worship, we go into giving. I'm like, this church talks about money? No. And I think they talked about generosity, and I think I even heard the word prosperity. The Bible doesn't have that word in it. The Bible doesn't talk about money. And then I look in the Bible, and it turns out it talks a lot about money and stewardship and prosperity. So shouldn't we go to the word of God for our truth rather than some internet sleuth who's trying to, like, make us believe something? Let me just tell you, the internet is not the source of truth. The word of God is the source of truth. So thank God we did that. But as we really planted in this house, I, you know, the other thing I remember sitting back in the back, I remember sitting in the back, just first service, I think it was probably Pastor Jurgen, probably sitting in the back and he's preaching and all of a sudden someone says, preach. And I like look over, I'm like, are we talking? Did that guy just talk during the middle of service? Seems a little rude. Somebody's like, yeah, wow. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we're doing this. Like this church is rowdy. Like, they're, they're rambunctious. Yes, come on. But as I actually planted here, I realized that we weren't vocally engaging just to be rambunctious or rowdy. It, it is fun, right? And it brings life to the church, and we should get more excited about the Word of God than we do our football team. I love football, by the way. Come on, Colorado. Yesterday, that was an amazing game. But we should, you know, we, we, we vocally engage for several reasons for those who don't know. First of all, if you're taking notes in church, which we highly suggest that you do, you will get a lot more from the church service if you take notes. And then if you vocally engage with whoever's up here, you're going to remember even more. So first of all, that benefits you. Second of all, when you vocally engage, you actually may draw something out of the preacher that was not going to come out before. There's actually a a spiritual exchange that goes through. And I was actually just talking to Daniel about this between the last service. Like I totally went off on a different tangent based on how the audience responded. And I'm like, I know, isn't that crazy? So why is that? It's because words are spiritual. So we are a words church because we are a word church. We are a words church because we are a word church. And by a word church, I mean we wholeheartedly believe in the word of God. And the word of God says a lot about our words, so we believe in the importance of our words because we believe in the word of God. See, we need to be careful about how we use our words because our words matter. Now, I didn't always have that viewpoint. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, words, they're just, it's just a natural mode of communication. That's it, nothing more. Nothing more than a natural mode of communication. You can talk about something, but that's it. That's at its best, and maybe at its worst, it's just, you know, a passing comment. So I would say things like, oh my gosh, this is absolutely killing me, or like, man, I hate that person. Even though I really didn't hate that person, I would say that type of thing just like without even thinking. You know, or like, that is such a bad kid, right? Say things like that. 
without actually thinking what I am saying has an effect. I was careless with my tongue. But I came here, started reading the Bible, thank God, really started to look at like, hey, what does the Bible actually say about words? I was reading the Bible before, but I wasn't focusing like, what does it say about words? In Proverbs 18.21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now notice it doesn't say that the tongue has the power to talk about life and death. That's the way I saw it before. I was like, oh, that's figurative. Like, it's just to talk about life and death. No, it says it actually has the power of life and death. Meaning intrinsic in our language, there's a spiritual power that either imparts life or death. And I love it. It says that those who love it will eat it through. In other words, the people who understand this will see fruitfulness and produce from their lives. It is powerful. And so why is it? It's because our words are spiritual. Language and speech, I mean, if you think about it, it's actually one of the few things that separate, it's like one of the main things actually, that separates mankind from the rest of creation. Yeah. Nothing else can creation can speak like we do. That is a special gift that is given to us by God. So that's, first of all, that's a spiritual thing. Number two, just even think about how we're talking, like I'm talking right now, you're understanding, comprehending, hopefully, what I'm saying, yeah. Right? Do you ever think about the fact that my words are invisible right now? Like you can't see my words, but somehow it registers in your brain and it might be invoking a feeling or a thought or something else. Why is that? Words are spiritual. You know, I think a lot of us can also think of, let's just think of someone, you know, have, has anybody here had someone who said something that hurt them? Right, like all of us, right? Like at some point. Now, when it hurts you, remember we used to say the thing like sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Yeah, I know, stupid, right? But why is that? Because you know, maybe a word can't, decide. I don't feel it in my leg. I don't feel it in my arm. I don't feel it in my, where do I feel it? I feel it in my heart. I feel it in my spirit. It's because words are spiritual in nature. You know, we've put so much emphasis on the natural in our secularized society rather than the spiritual, but the reality is the spiritual is what upholds the natural. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were made we're not made of things which are visible. In other words, it's the invisible, the word of God that actually upholds creation. It actually says the creation is upheld by the word of his power. Wow, isn't that crazy that words are spiritual? You, know, you can transfer a feeling. If you have sadness in you, if you have uh, maybe joy, excitement, you can actually transfer that to someone else through words. How is that possible if words are just natural? Words are Spiritual, man, like, and you ever thought about the fact that, man, usually I've, I've had this a couple times where my wife comes in a little hot, God bless her, you know, I've probably done something really stupid, which is probably pretty typical, and she says something, and I just shoot out some words without even thinking, and I immediately regret it, right? I'm like, ooh, I can't believe, now she has all the ammo on me in the world, like, she's right, but isn't it interesting that you can use words without thinking, but you cannot think without using words? Words actually come before your thought. Why is that? Because words are spiritual. You know, a lot of people say to anybody here like, multi, like truly multilingual, 
like you're fantastic, you deeply know other languages. A lot of the, a lot of you talk to a lot of these people and they'll say that when you learn a new language, like completely become fluent in it, you're not just learning a new way to communicate, you're actually learning a new way in which to view the world. Because see, our words, just as God's word frames our, re, like the reality of the world, our words that we speak and understand and think and know actually frame the way in which we view the world. They view our understanding of the world. Words are like spiritual seed. They are powerful and spiritual in reality. They frame out our reality and the way that we see things. You know, they did this study years ago and they, you know, on prison inmates out of all people. They're not looking for this, but they found it. Well, what did they find? They found that most prison inmates have an extremely small vocabulary. What? Small, like how does a small vocabulary all of a sudden have such a strong correlation with prison time? Like there's also absent fathers, that's a huge thing. But even your vocabulary, like if you have a small vocabulary, you'll probably have a small understanding of the world around you. You won't be able to explain what you're feeling. You can't comprehend it because it limits the way that you think, the way that you understand in your spirit. Why is that? Because words are spiritual in reality. That's where they're based from. God spoke. The whole universe is upheld by the word of his power. So all of this to say, would you say that words seem like they're probably pretty important? That maybe we should be careful about how we use our words? That our, that our tongue actually has a lot to do with our character and actually bridles our whole body. So I like practical things. Anybody here practical? Come on. So I'm going to go into pr three practical steps of how we can tame our tongue. So let's go. Point number one, cultivate the word and cultivate your words. Cultivate the word, the word of God, and cultivate your words. Matthew 12, 34 through 35 says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil Man, out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. See, words begin in our hearts. So if we want to be able to speak the right thing, we need to work on our heart first and foremost. We need to work on our heart first and foremost. Notice it says, out of the good treasure comes good things, and out of the bad treasure comes bad things. So what are we planting into the soil of our heart? Romans 12, 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So what are we allowing to transform our heart, to transform our minds? Are we planting all of that, of like the word of God into our hearts? Or what are we allowing to actually speak into our lives? And it was funny, even the other day I was riding in the car and I heard a song come on and I, mean, I was like, yeah, like let's go. And all of a sudden I'm like, the words. Has anybody had this happen? The words and you're like, what? Like, and you're like, I loved the song in high school. Not only did I, like, I love it, like, I sang it all the time. Like, and I didn't even comprehend what I was actually speaking or saying. And then here I am wondering, okay, God, like, why do I have all these dysfunctional, well, I'm always in a dysfunctional relationship, but here I am singing songs about dysfunctional relationships, watching television shows about dysfunctional relationships, and then talking to people about dysfunctional relationships, all while planting that all in my heart, and then wondering why out of my heart comes dysfunctional relationships. So, like, what are we allowing into our minds? Now, I'm not saying that from a place of condemnation, but as, rather as a place of reflection, that we can reflect, okay, what's the fruit that I'm seeing in my life, and what am I planting into the depths of my heart? 
Am I planting the word of God in my heart? Am I meditating on the word of God? Am I, am I trusting in his promises or am I letting the, the words of the world speak to me? What am I allowing to frame my reality? Proverbs 15, 28 says, the heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. So outside of cultivating the word of God, we also have to cultivate our words before we speak them. In other words, we want to weigh them before we answer. Notice how it says the wicked, it just gushes evil. Like there's uncontrolled, there's no restraint that comes out of the wicked, but the righteous weighs their answers. Proverbs 16.23 says, The hearts of the wise make their mouths prudent, and their lips promote instruction. And again, it's the heart that makes our lips wise. But they promote what? Instruction. Our words are created to build up and to guide and to bring life into all those around us. But it starts in the heart. What are, we, are we tending the garden of our hearts? Are we making sure we're pulling up those weeds and planting in the word of God? Or are we reading the word of God, but then also reading, putting a lot of weeds in there, allowing them to choke up the word of God and to confuse our thinking? So before we speak, we got to cultivate our hearts. But that brings me to point number two. Speak the word and speak your words. Speak the word. Speak the word of God and speak your words. So when we've cultivated the word of God in our heart, we can speak in line with life. We can speak in line with the principles and promises of God. That means we'll speak life and not death, faith and not fear, hope and not doubt. We can use our language to encourage and build each other's up. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now, for those who don't know, corrupt just means that it's been changed or altered from its original purpose. It's been altered from its original purpose. So it's been corrupted, changed for the evil. But what we need to have is what's good for what? Necessary edification. Edification is actually necessary. And one of the ways that we do that is by speaking words. That it may what? That it may impart grace. How can we impart grace if words are just natural? See, words are spiritual in nature, your words can actually impart something to someone, and God's purpose is that it would impart life and grace and good things. The devil wants to pervert it to steal, kill, rob, and destroy. Amen? So what are we doing? What are we speaking over our lives? What are we speaking over our businesses? What are we speaking over our finances? What are we speaking over our family? The Bible actually says to pray without ceasing. And I remember thinking about this a while ago, and I really started to to reflect. Like, man, okay, pray without ceasing. If I were to take inventory of all my words and consider every word of prayer, am I speaking more in line with the promises I'm believing for? Or am I speaking more in line with what the world says? Every word should be edifying. Every word should be in alignment with prayer. Consider every word prayer. Now, who of you, does anybody here have children? Yes, you have children, right? Like, and I love my children so much. And I'm sure you can all relate, but like, I, it's so funny because there are times when they act in disobedience, like surprise. Like kids will sometimes act in disobedience. And it just, it, it shocks me. I'm like, man, I, I, I love these kids so much. And yet 
at times I just want them to go to sleep like immediately. <laughs> like how is that possible? Yes. And then as soon as they go to bed, I'm like, oh, I miss them so much. <laughs> like me and my wife will like look at photos. I'm like, they're so cute. <laughs> Even though just like 10 minutes ago, I was like, get to bed. You know, you're like trying to fight them to get to bed. And it's just so funny, but you know, even when they act in disobedience, I've, I've learned, and thank God I, I learned this from, our, from early on with our kids, is when they act in disobedience, say like my eldest Jana, and she does something disobedient. I would, I'm not gonna go to her and say, you are such a disobedient bad child. I, I gotta be careful about the words I speak over her. But what I will address it because a father who loves their kids will discipline their kids and will correct them, amen? So I'll say, hey, Jana, what you did was extremely disobedient. That is not who you are. You are an obedient girl. You are someone who loves God and seeks his purposes. So let's talk about this disobedience. And we address the disobedience. She will have a consequence, most likely, right? And then as she repents, we bring back restoration. And some of you may say, oh, that seems kind of hocus pocus, right? But no, actually, that's, I don't know if you, have, if you like, when you read the New Testament, that's actually how... Paul corrects a lot of the churches in the New Testament. And he dealt with a lot of stuff, can I just say, like some real bad stuff in the church. And he'd be like, why are you doing this? Like the pagans don't even do this. But why are you doing this? Because that's not who you are. <laughs> like Christ has called you to more. So because of that, you need to act in righteousness. So we call back on our identity, on our reborn identity to walk out in power, right? Because sin shall no longer have dominion over you. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you. See, Proverbs 10, 21 says, the lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for a lack of sense. Our lips are meant to bring life, nourish. Nourishment is life. Proverbs 12, 14 says, from the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things, and by the work of their hands brings them reward. The Bible actually says that by the fruit of your lips, you actually enjoy good things. Who here wants good things? Don't argue with me. Like, this is the Bible who's saying this. Anybody who's offended by the fact that your lips can actually bring good things to you, that's what the Bible says. And that's because words are spiritual in nature. Now, as a father, I got to think, okay, what words am I speaking over my children? What words am I speaking over my wife? And, and this really hit home for me probably about six years ago. Um, our eldest daughter, she was three years old. We were at a park, Mission Bay, and she was playing on the swing set. Me and Trace were kind of off on the side looking. And all of a sudden, she just comes to us just sobbing, crying. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And we're like, Jenna, what's going on? She said, that, that kid, it was probably like a seven-year-old girl, said I'm, that I look weird and I'm ugly. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, that, like how, do you deal, how do you try to explain this to a three-year-old? Because that really hit her hard. And, you know, but it was great because she started to contemplate it. And she started to, she's an external processor, like my wife. <laughs> and she starts externally processing it to my wife, Teresa. And she says, you know, but like, th you know, thinking about it, and I, maybe she wasn't quite this eloquent, but, you know, she's like, thinking about it, like, I think that girl was not telling the truth. And Teresa said, well, why? Like, like what, what makes you say that? Like, I know she's not telling the truth, but what makes you say that? She said, because my daddy's always telling me that I'm pretty. And I'm not, to be honest, I'm not telling that to impress you, but to impress upon you the weight of our words, especially as a father. 
as fathers, we've been given a special place of authority, which means that our words carry actually additional weight. And like that hit me. I was like, I didn't even think of it until then. And it just like hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, oh my gosh, like my words matter so much. Because instead of saying, what does this person in the world say? But she says, what does my daddy say about me? What does my daddy say about? So then she spoke the words that she heard her father speak over her. Just in the same, are we speaking the words that God, our father, speaks over us? See, what I found is the world is a reflection of our words. The world is often a reflection, not a perfect reflection, but definitely a reflection of our words. Now, point number three, do the word and do your words. Do the word and do your words. Have you ever thought about the fact that character is measured by whether or not your words line up with your actions? Right? When we talk about someone of character, what do we say? We say they are a person of their word. They're a person of their word. So as Christians, we need to not be people who are just believing something and then saying something, but then actually doing something. What I think is that the world, what they probably find unbelievable more than anything else is that Christians will say they believe something, they'll talk about it, and then they do not do it. So they don't see the power. They don't, see, they don't glorify God. But see, here's the thing, is when, imagine being so in tune with your words that every word that you say is actually made manifest in your flesh, meaning that you carry out an action that they actually would glorify God, that they would actually glorify God. James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Matthew 5.37 says, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Again, we need to be so in alignment with our words that it's actually made manifest in what we do. It's made manifest in the flesh. And when people see that, watch, first of all, the fruitfulness down in your life, but also watch that they will glorify God. They will glorify God. You know, they've, they've talked a lot about, why are, they, why are these young kids leaving the church today? Why are these millennials leaving the church? And what they've often asked them and they find out is that they... They say, well, look, uh, church was great. I loved church. I loved Sunday. But what I saw Monday through Saturday at my house was not in alignment with what we had on Sunday. See, more is caught than is explicitly taught. If you want to gain trust with someone, the first thing, by the way, you actually go back the opposite way. We talk about working your heart, speech, do. People will trust you back through that opposite way. What you do, then they trust what you say, and then they'll know your heart. There's a purpose for that. There's a reason for that. So are we people of our words? The other thing that I think about is that our words actually have legacy because, they're, because they are spiritual in nature. The words that we speak over our kids and that we do actually have legacy. I thank God that I grew up in a household where I saw my father every morning, you know, in the Bible, at least what I remember as every morning, probably wasn't, but most of the time, in the word, in prayer. So I saw that, and frankly, at that time, like as a high schooler, I'm looking, I'm like, dude, I ain't getting up that early. Like, I'm not gonna read the Bible. I like, I like God, but I'm not gonna read it. But now, that is actually translated to my life. Because I always saw, like, no, I know there's something real there. There is something real there. And so maybe some of you parents, maybe you're dealing with some kids who don't seem like they're walking in the way they should be. Let me just say, first of all, continue to speak the word of God over them. Let me just encourage you in that. It may not feel like they're listening to you, because, you know, the naturally, 
but your words are spiritual. They're spiritual in nature. So as long as they're hitting them here in their spirit, that's what matters. That's what my dad did. He spoke, but then he did. And that had the impact on me of now I'm here today walking with God, walking with God, having such fruitfulness in our lives. You know, if we're inconsistent in either from our heart to our language or our language to our doing, you'll see people go off track. You'll see people lack fruitfulness in their life. But when we, first of all, care about the soil of our hearts, intend it, plant the word of God deep, you'll see that you'll get a firm foundation. By the way, God says he gives us a new heart. You can't do this all on your own. First of all, you need to come to God and God will give you a new heart. But when you get that new heart, you start planting the word, his principles in your heart. Then you start to speak the word of God. The reality is we all go through things that are, we're on this side of heaven. Bad stuff happens. We're gonna have challenges. We're gonna have difficulties. But if it's for his sake, man, it's God be the glory because he gets us through. We speak his word over our circumstances. We speak his word over our finances. We speak his word over our family. And then when we not just talk about it, but then we actually be about it, watch the fruitfulness that will happen in your life. And all of this is because words are spiritual in nature. So as we close today, I was just, I was, I was reminded of the fact of, isn't it interesting that Jesus, another, another name for Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is actually the word of God made manifest in flesh. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't just say he loved us. He just didn't feel it. He did something about it. He knew he was gonna do it, his heart perfect. He spoke that he was gonna do it. He prophesied it in the Old Testament and then he did it. He made his, his word made manifest in the flesh that we may glorify him, that we may glorify him. And guess what? The good news, he wants to give us a, good, a new heart. He wants to help us tend the soil of our hearts so that we have lives that are productive, that are lives that are fulfilling. God doesn't give us rules, he gives us principles that if we try to break against them, we're going to ruin our lives. His rules are not to be a killjoy. They're actually to give us life and life more abundantly. So we can either reap bad fruit or we can reap good fruit. So Jesus wants a relationship with us, friends, and he wants to tend that soil of our heart. Amen? So as we close today, I'd like you all to just bow your heads and close your eyes. And maybe some of you have heard this and, and thought, man, I, God, I want a new heart. I've been far from you. And maybe there's other people who've maybe given your life to Christ and said, God, I wanna walk with you, but you feel far away. Like maybe you've wandered. But if that's you today, I want you to raise your hand so I can see you and just pray along with you and believe mighty things. Maybe you feel God tugging on that heart and says, God, I want newness of life. Raise that hand so I can see and pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see you. God bless 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 you. Yes. Yes. God is good. He wants more for you. You can put your hand down after you've raised it. God bless you. God bless you. And as we close our close it out today. I just want us all to come together in prayer. As we pray this prayer together, repeat after me, dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to save me 
from my sins. I repent of my sins and confess you as Lord. Today I give you my life and I declare that God is my father and heaven is my home. So use me as you see fit. I trust you in everything. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for new life. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.